HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. Welcome to Maximize Your Hunt, the podcast dedicated to those who want the most out of their hunting property. This podcast explores land management, habitat improvement, and hunting strategies that will help you maximize your time in the field. Follow along as industry professionals that live and breathe white-tailed deer share their secrets to success. And now, the founder of Whitetail Landscapes, your host, John Teeter. Hi, I'm John Teeter, Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. I've got Steve Shirk back. And I'm excited to have him back because this is our hunting strategy series. We're going to have some of the top guys in the country, across the country, giving input to both Steve and I in regards to their strategies and how they're achieving success this hunting hunting season. And I'm excited to be a part of that. Steve's pretty much going to run the show. I'm going to be a part of maybe the discussion, or if I have a point, I'll add to it. But I'm going to let Steve run the show. Hey, Steve, are you on the line? I'm right here. All right, man. So we just talked the other day, it seems like. Uh, how yeah. you been? <laughs> uh, been good. It's been busy. Just running two businesses right now and getting prepared for the guide season and tr- <clears throat> trying to close out for the landscaping stuff. is just It's about actually the busiest time of year for me. So, uh, But I, don't, I like being busy. I'm not a uh, you know, sit-on-the-couch kind of guy. So, and I'm certainly getting excited. Our season opens up this Saturday, so I'll get to do a little bit of hunting and then... Uh, like I said, it really only gets better from there. I was just on a client property today breaking down uh, deer habitat, and I was talking about deer behavior this morning, and then I rushed back to the house to do this podcast. Um, I, I need to get my shotgun sighted in. Um, that's another issue that I've got going on, and I've got to get my rifle going. And by the way, that bow that I bought this year, actually, uh, it's not fully sighted in. So I got some hustle-up offense here on, on my end because we, we start on Saturday, and right. I, I, so I'm, I'm, I'm rushing and I'm, I, I got a client visit on Sunday and then after that I'm, I'm off, but I'm, I'm going to slide another client in November. So I'm just trying to just get my ducks in a row. I just want to share yep. something with you real quick. So I was talking to Jake Ellinger, who's a habitat consultant, deer consultant uh, this morning. I've got a buck on my property that I'm considering shooting. I wasn't going to originally shoot him, but I think he's moving too much. And I think one of the strategies, if you're owning land or you're focused on a particular deer, if he's a three and a half year old buck and he's of good quality and status in your area, maybe a deer that you decide to go after just because of his amount of movement. I thought it was a 50-50 chance he'd make it through the season, but he's moving a little too much right now. And so I'm contemplating killing a younger deer that's in that 130 caliber class. And I, I was talking to Jake about a strategy behind that. And it's like, you know, is the outcome something you want? And I'm not saying I can kill the deer, but I've got a higher probability of killing them. And so these are the contemplations that I think folks should be going through right now of, you know, what's on my landscape? Is that deer in my, you know, quote unquote, you know, in my hit list? And is he of caliber and quality of a deer that I'd like to shoot? So I don't know. I'd share that with you, Steve. I know we've had conversations on that. Oh, and I have uh, always been a big advocate of 
hunt a deer you can kill versus not always the one that, uh, or versus one that might be the biggest that you know, because, uh, I mean, at least my opinion, I like to have meat in the freezer and, uh, I, I would at least, it's, it's always just to, to kill a buck, uh, a good mature deer, a good quality deer is always a lot better than eating your tag. So, uh, I say if you got the right intel, you need to uh, you need to make that move and capitalize. Yeah, killable deer is definitely and it, it, it slots into the hit list a lot higher than than yep. a, a deer that's not killable for that matter. So let yep. me have you kick this off. You've got the guest. I want you to intro the the guest and and we'll 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 start talking to the guest. Sounds great. Johnny, are you on the line? Yeah, I'm here, John. Got good service. Awesome, good. All right, Steve. Uh, why don't you inter- introduce Johnny to the to the podcast? And uh, Johnny, let's hear a little bit about you. All right. Well, uh, I'll start off. Um, I've known Johnny for a few years now, um, especially through Spartan Forge, and we've been fortunate to uh, we've even been in the woods together, hunted somewhat a little bit last gun season together, and. Uh, I just thought that Johnny would be uh, just a great person to finally get on this uh, podcast. He's a very knowledgeable, well-experienced hunter and had a lot of success in a lot of different places. So we're probably overdue for getting you on here, but to say the least, uh, I think the timing is just right as some seasons are already you know, underway and some of them are almost yet to come. So, uh, Johnny, uh, thanks a lot for, for joining us, and uh, if you could just – Maybe just give a little little information on you know where you come from, what you do, and, and your passion for hunting. So, yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Um, I grew up near Pittsburgh, just south of Pittsburgh, kind of whitetail hunting, whitetail in general, kind of had me at an early age, uh, started out rifle hunting, then and naturally got into bow hunting. I think I didn't kill my first deer with a bow till I was 17, um, and... Once I got that one, I, I, my confidence went up, um, and I just kind of, as years went on, I got more uh, obsessed, uh, passionate about hunting deer, and to where I gave up a lot of the other things I did. Um, I used to fish and small game hunt, and, and now I'm uh, just kind of focused on deer in um, kind of a fair amount of states, maybe 10 different states or so um, over the years, and I think the last eight, 10 years were pretty much strictly public land. That's where my challenge, that's the biggest challenge for me is uh, going to a piece of public and, and figuring out um, that area. It's always, uh, it's the learning curve that I enjoy. I, I found like a lot of the deer that I'm killing are on new pieces. Um, and I just think that's, that's what I enjoy is like figure, or I feel like once you figure them out, it's kind of like, okay, that's done and over with. Um, or I'll figure a deer out and I'll, I've, I like seeing other people and helping other people and I would figure deer out and here, go try this spot or just, um, this is a good Steve kill deer. And I have, you know, and I see fine happiness and seeing other people kill deer. So yeah, just a passionate, obsessive, um, thing that, uh, just really good for my brain to, to keep learning and, and, um, spending a lot of time and seeing it also my way as opposed to everybody else. I'm not one that, uh, I don't know if I'm going to like follow what other people do. I mean, you can definitely pick up things from other people, little tidbits here and there, but I feel like everybody has their own way of viewing the whitetail that they're hunting or that woods or that habitat. Um, 
and I'm not one to say, hey, this is how I do it is exactly right. I, I sometimes with other people and always, what do you I always ask? What's your opinion? You know, you can always learn from someone else. So, sure. nope. I think that's uh, that's some great stuff that you uh, you know that you brought up, and certainly uh, as the listeners uh, hear this podcast, they'll, they'll definitely uh, it, at least tell how much uh, passion you have for it, and they're definitely going to learn something. Um, what I first uh, wanted to talk to you about, and we slightly touched on it a little bit, was uh, obviously you hunt, you, you know, you said you probably hunted 10 states or more, and you've had success in most of these places where someone like me, I've only ever hunted two states, and I hunt the same, the same areas year after year. I'm more of a, like, get to know my own ground, my home ground better and better, but I'm really intrigued, and especially when I went to your camp and you showed me all your mounts from so many different places. Like that was just that was really, uh, really fascinating to me. So, um, could you kind of like just give your, uh, you know, just first starting out into some of these new areas, new states. Like, how do you uh, how do you get on deer when uh, you basically have never been in the in an area before? Well, I mean, first and foremost, uh, nowadays we have the technology, the Spartan Forge app. I study it endlessly uh, from going to a state. Um, I think the biggest thing, I, and it's mainly public land, so I'm always looking for where everyone else is going to access and how they're accessing. Um, I think nowadays um, I'm into hunting hunters somewhat and learning what they're doing and how they're, and the deer are going to adapt. It might be this situation uh, the pressure might be low and he's going to do the traditional, maybe, um, hang out where the sign is or, or what have you. But I think once you, once the hunters are in, in, in doing the normal routine, finding a sign and hunting there, the deer are going to adapt. So it might be as much as like them living on a private piece of land or, um, being nocturnal, which is the biggest thing I deal with. When I see, uh, when I get on this public land, is are they nocturnal? That's the number one I got to figure out. So I think, and I mean, so I think the biggest thing for me, what I look for and what I learn is is try to figure out the hunting pressure in an area. Yep, and obviously I know there's a lot of people that have been listening to this podcast and know that I'm a hundred percent public land hunter as well, and. You and me, it's it's so cool. We think alike in so many ways, and I've always said. The number one key, and really it's not just public land, but in anywhere there's whitetails, is hunting pressure. That's, that's especially a mature buck, the number one thing on his mind always, even in the rut, is security. He's not going to go somewhere where he knows he's being hunted. So uh, you definitely hit the nail on the head um, when, you, when you said that that's the first thing you look for. So when you get into... Uh, you know, when you find these low access area or maybe these areas that are overlooked, um, do you like, uh, like, do you know, like the key food sources ahead of time? Or are you like more focused on find and sign or, but basically, you know, what, what are you doing when to get on deer once you found these, these areas of low impact? Um, I think if there isn't much pressure, let me, I'm going to run you through a situation that could, maybe people can learn a lot from. My situation I just got through with here in Ohio. I was in Ohio for five days. Had cameras running and not much on camera. So I went back to the drawing board 
I had to find, pretty much find a new spot. So this is taking me into the steps that I took um, in finding this new location. So um, there was a piece of public on both sides of the road, um, kind of like a thermal hub, points up high, and, you know, to where there was a creek down low. And we got out 100 yards from the road. a parking spot right there, which to me, number one, people are going to park. We went up in the woods and scrapes, rubs, 100 yards from the road. Like, uh, Then we went up to point, 100 foot in elevation, scrapes, fuck shit, fuck rubs. It's like, oh, my God, here we go. This is it. This is what we're looking for. But then I get that feeling in my stomach. I'm like, it's too good to be true. This is probably 100, you know, a couple hundred yards from the parking spot. You know, so it's like um, so the steps I went through is is you know food cover water um we got water in the creek the food's here on these points he's laying sign down so there was a cut so we got up in that cut before daylight the next day and here it was so fresh of a cut there was it was thin on cover and we we decided so okay he's not living here i, I feel like so um he's probably coming from private property um so we we hunted within that that night on the point there where the where the acorns were and nothing you know what I mean so there are different situations you run into like the one situation there's times I've seen deer rub and scrape and they would hang out on them points close by within a couple hundred yards and like this situation there's a road running up and down and you when we got up on that hill on that point so close to the road you could hear a car like. Going, like you couldn't even get into this spot, especially when the leaves fall, and access this. You couldn't even hunt it without a deer laying up on that point, knowing that you, someone's parking here. So I've seen situations where they would lay close to the road, lay the sign down, and lay close to the road and watch down or listen to someone parking, especially if there's no wind and rain, and it'd be like a like we even decided like if if, if we wanted to hunt this spot again, we'd park maybe a half a mile down the road sneak up the road and get up on a, on a hill. But I also seen situations where a deer would lay that much sign down and for the fact that he's not there, he's trying to tell the rest of the population, deer population, that, hey, this is I still want to breed dozer. I'm still here. In reality, he is half a mile away on um, private land where he just comes in there at night, scrapes up and rubs it up, and and tells everybody that this is still my area. I'm still checking this area, and puts all that scent down to the deer to tell them like, whoa, he's here, even though he's up, he might be sleeping a, a mile away. So I think then what we did, we come to the conclusion that we think he's a, a ways off. But we dropped cameras, and we backed out of that area and let them cameras soak and tell us. But um, there's a situation that might occur to where there's a doe and heat and he could be laying, he could be laying right on his points right close to the road. It's stuff that people don't think about. You know, every guy, most guys are going to park at that spot. As soon as you park and slam the door, you're done. The job yeah. gets done for you, you. You might as well, you know, might as well just get in your car and leave, you know? Um, so I think it's a real good thing to take away from, you know, is really ask yourself, like if you were that animal, put yourself in his shoes. And there was does in that area, food, cover, water, everything was there. And that's what people are looking for when they're studying these maps. They're looking for the areas with the cover. And I, I noticed the more guys are hunting the public ground, they're finding the cover, the food, the water sources. And it's like these primo spots are dying off. 
the deer or satellite in these areas and they're in the less um, the areas with the less sign because of the people that are in there. So then I, it goes back to me hunting hunters and figuring out where they are because a lot of these places that I'm hunting aren't super vast. Um, you're getting into public lands. There were a lot of guys are in it. I mean, you, there's areas I do hunt that you can get way back in and, you know, there ain't much pressure. But in these situations in out of state, it's probably smaller pieces that guys are reading the sign and getting in there and, and it you got to kind of adapt. And I think the cameras are a big thing to, to leave out and soak and, and give you intel. Hey, he's, and you start getting the pictures 4 a.m., 4 a.m., it's like uh, I kind of just throw them to the wayside as far as a uh, – as much as just like an intel of what could be there you know what i mean so steve johnny let me just jump in here for a second because i think this is really interesting and johnny this is what i like you just you just gave kind of like a basic decision tree of you know what you're going to do in this circumstance and i think a lot of people you know don't break things down to that level i mean habitat needs is is number one right does it have adequate food space water cover you know how does the deer interrelate to that and we just talked about reproduction and survivability you know not getting killed and shot and obviously interacting in an environment because they're interested in the reproduction options for themselves and it's like those are the basic principles like that's found foundational and i think a lot of people overlook that and just they pay attention to sign there's deer here but they don't ask themselves the whys and you you just kind of walked us through the process there so I just, I thought that was really interesting because I think people need a foundation to make moves. And I think it's a little bit different when you're on highly managed ground, but it's really not. There's some of the same principles apply to really managed ground versus public ground for that matter. So I just wanted to add that to the conversation. Go ahead, Steve. Yep. Um, no, and I, or John, I think those, that was really important that you made sure that you were, you know, that we, we were all kind of on the same page and brought up those key points. What I, uh, what I took from what you said, Johnny, is uh, and two things that I really like out of that is the fact that um, it's like it's so, it's so interesting how all, you know, a lot of hunters are thinking alike now, like knowledge and information, like everything is so exposed and easy to find. And I feel like uh, you almost have to learn to be a little more different and kind of develop uh, – your own strategies and kind of bouncing off to what other hunters are doing because it's just so, uh, it's so centralized and how to have success that it's almost, it's almost going into like a reverse method where, uh, in some of these highly pressured public areas, everything that, that makes sense, uh, doesn't start to work because hunting pressure, you know, has a factor. And I'm, I really am glad that you caught on to that. And, uh, you know, I think it's important for hunters, hunting public land in these highly pressured areas to be able to adapt to that pressure and, you know, kind of think a little bit differently and develop, you know, some new strategies and just a new way of thinking. Also, too, uh, this is this is another question for you, though. Do you, you know, especially in a highly pressured area, we brought up food sources, sign, but do, would you agree that, you know, your best place to kill a mature buck on public land and a lot of you know a lot of times throughout hunting season would be bedding or are you more of a food source guy or what what do you think might be the the, the best area to to find that that mature buck i think maybe it depends on the time of year um definitely bedding close to his bed um if you can find where that animal is bedding on its public in in um, early season as like now um or the next few weeks because I feel like these mature deer are closer to being nocturnal. Yeah. 
yep. in the public areas where you got to get into the first 200 yards of travel. Um, and that, and I find in situations that, uh, where the bucks are betting and located, when you find that, like I found it, and then you're like, oh, I can't even, how can I even get to him? You got, not foolproof, but he's like, he got it all, all, everything's crossed off. Oh, I got the wind in my favor. Oh, I can hear this. Is, oh, I could see it. Like, you got to skate. It's like, wow. So then you got to start um, playing the wind and, and being like, and you, I believe you got to take chances. You got to be a risk taker. If you have everything, a lot of times in them situations, or at least if you have everything in your favor, chances are you're not going to see that here. Um, but the, and then that comes into play. Like we thought down here in Ohio, since it was so early, we thought maybe he was hanging close to that um, the sign he was laying down because the pressure, I'm sure, it starts ramping up here in another couple weeks of cold front. So it was just a, you know, maybe he is close by, and it's all a lot of maybes are thrown out. But um, yeah, early season, if you can get in and like maybe play the edge of his wind, or just maybe you might be hunting the last like we hunted the last hour and a half of light because the thermal was shift and we we had a maybe we can catch him dropping down and feeding on his acorns from that point you know but uh i think early season you know there's a lot more nocturnal like steve talked on that one podcast of you know the cold front you might catch him moving a little earlier feeding i do believe sometimes deer just feed in like like waves like chunks like they go in and they gorge themselves and uh when that cold front comes in then it's like um they might not be moving much and feeding that much. Uh, you know, you put the feed bag on and they pound the acorns or wherever they're feeding. Cause I've seen it in different times where the signs are, the shit's there, the food's here, the acorns here. And, and it's like, you know, your cameras ain't working, ain't picking them nothing. And it's just cause they, that doesn't mean, you know, they, they might've gorged. It's coming in waves to somewhat, you know what I mean? But you just got to keep, be persistent. But then I think during the, you know, as you get into, you know, later October into November, I think scrapes are better. Um, as far as getting away, getting further away from his bed and then you're getting into doe bedding areas into the rut and, you know, maybe funnels and stuff like that and normal stuff. So sure. yeah, but I think for the most part is where's he bedding. And then that's, that's the biggest thing you're trying to find. Where's he located or the spot he's located, you know? Yeah. So if you're like traveling, you know, to, you know, a lot of, a lot of times I know you've, you've just tried out a new place and maybe a different state. And maybe let's, because, uh, you know, we're getting a ways into this podcast and we only have so much time, but uh, throughout the rut, like, that's the time when 90% of people are, you know, planning their hunts, making their trips all over the country. Um, and I know you touched on it a little bit, but, like, if, you know, it's prime time and you're coming, you're, you know, you're hunting a new area, like, are you, once again, are you focused on sign or, like, Give give the listeners like some things that you're gonna look for as you're traveling from state to state, you know, hunting throughout the rut. I think when it comes to rut, we're gonna look for where does are bedding. It's still boots on the ground is your number one thing. Um, and just check, keep checking until you get um, to the area where you're seeing the do- where the does are feeding the fresh shit, the, the acorns. Um, there's cover lo- located by maybe some water. Um, where, where bucks are going to want to be looking for the same thing as you. You know what I mean? Um, but you got to be kind of confident that, hey, man, if I was a buck, I wanted to, this is where I'd want to be. 
So, like, I think those those bedding's important. See, that food is a very important. He's going to be checking the food locations and kind of, like, you might find some spots and then maybe in between catch him getting from one spot to the other. Um, I think that uh, that's, that's the biggest thing, does and feed. And th- there's no reason why you can't put a lot of time scouting in a new area. Um, if you bump them does or you're scouting, it doesn't matter. If you don't bump the buck, he don't know that you bumped those. Um, get in there and hunt. You, you, you know, and, and if he's still, if the rubs are there. He's putting rubs there for a reason. The scrapes, even if they're closed up, um, because he's just looking for the does. Um, yeah, get downwind of them doe bedding areas, um, but look for active feeding from these does. You know, whether it's browse or whether it's a mask or 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 maybe there is some ag. Um, but a buck knows that does are living there. And like I said, put a lot of time in. Don't be if I know when I was younger, I was afraid, oh, I don't want to spook deer. You know, there's already probably 20 guys been in there before you, maybe, you know. But if the does are there, he's going to come and check his, his, you know, at that breeding season, if there's a hot doe. Um, don't be afraid to keep checking. Like, I don't care if you spend most of the day getting out of your vehicle. Well, like, it might be like exhausting, maybe the person you're with and like, oh, come on, we just, can't we just hunt? I can, I need to find enough reason for me to hunt. You know, there's, we bump some does. Hey, let's, let's get in here. There's a little bit of buck sign. And then you get into November in these areas. If does are actively living there and feeding there, then maybe and you don't see the humans sign because all the hunters are in there end of October and into November. And if I've done it before where I've just got, I went to a one time, it was 3,000 acre piece of public. And I went in before dark and I moved as fast as I could through the woods, taking mental notes of where the, that was after a rain, where the fresh sign was. That's another thing, wait till after a rain. First fresh doe tracks. Apparently there's deer living here probably because no one's hunting right here. It might be 200 yards away. A guy might have a stand, but if you can find fresh sign that time of year, I don't care. And then when you bump a deer, like, oh, that's a plus. It's an hour before dark. I bumped deer here. There are deer here. You know, um, just get, you know, I've done that. I did a huge loop for a couple thousand acres and just, okay, I got three spots that I would hunt here. And I even crossed areas that where guys had trails going to their stand and stands up and tree limbs. It's like, ah, you know, I'm like, I'm like, oh, just get me away from here. And then that's what you'll, because uh, it doesn't, it can happen fast. You get on that fresh sign um, or does are feeding. Maybe, you know, it's like, hey, let's get in here. The time is right. There's animals here and the bucks and the deer are there because they already are satelliting the hunters and saying, this is where I want to be through November. I'm safe here. So, yeah, don't be afraid to keep and then use your instincts to say, hey, there's enough sign here. Um, don't just, I don't hardly ever get in a tree and hope that I'm going to kill a deer. I want to know what's going on, even if I'm scouting. Because I've had it in times where I did all that scouting, and then you get in a tree, and it happens in 10 minutes. Hunt's over. So uh, you could either do that, spend more time scouting, seeing where the fresh sign is, or just sit there and with your hands and praying for a deer to come through, you know, so... I think that's most important, um, and, you know, and a guy that's kind of in similar shoes as you, you know, your traveling type hunter is, you know, you would think in one way that you would just want to spend as much time in a tree as possible, but yet you really want to do the opposite and spend as much time scouting as possible because, you know, especially in a public land scenario where, uh, 
it can be a little harder to come up with a pattern and you know you know deer are a little more spooky and might not be doing exactly what you'd think um i think it's the amount of scouting in that situation is two three four times more than you know an area maybe you know more of a private land uh scenario where you know if where deer haven't been pressured so i think the biggest key that you brought up is uh you really got to put the scouting game on and probably spend at least you know twice as much time scouting versus uh being in the stand i'm sure you'd agree to that yeah and like i said i'm leaving ohio now we found that new spot you know we seen food cover water we hunted the cover the first day it wasn't too thick and then you know we went up on that point and then i said you know what we were going to go across the road, hunt there. I said, you know what, let's just spend all, all, so this morning before we left, I said, let's just, let's know as much as we can uh, on the other side of the road. We were just going to go over there and hunt. That, but you would have been in one little spot. And let's just hike this. Let's just get as much intel. Let's know this area for, and then drop cameras. Then we can come back, pull the camps, see what's hot. You know, and this is an area that, you know, we're already putting time into. If we didn't do that, we just, of them couple spots went across the road then i get home i start reading maps and looking at maybe i should have went up there and checked that you know but we went through it pretty thorough and used um you know cameras and we'll go back but i always also like to at least get to a spot out of state and get a couple cameras um to get some type of intel and you're trying to get back there uh to hunt to, to help me Especially if you're talking into later in the season, guys start harvesting deer, and I like to have cameras soak in, in, into December, January. We can say, okay, let's see what's left, let's see what a guy aren't, and stuff like that. I, I, you know, I try to have cameras are such a such a big help, you know. Yep. Um. So basically, and I think you have an advantage versus like <clears throat> someone that books a hunt with me. Like you're either here three or six days, and like you know, it's over with, although they got me and to do most of the scouting for them. But I think where some people, you know, they plan a hunt and they think that, okay, I, I'm going to go to uh, Iowa for a week and I'm going to get it done. But you, per se, like, you like to maybe go back a couple times or you might plan a trip if you don't get it done or don't see what you want to see. I think what you're starting to do is you're saying, okay, this is going to turn more into a scouting mission versus a hunt. And then I'm going to come back in a few weeks and, you know, after check the camera, see what kind of sign, like it sounds like that you like to bounce back to some of these areas, maybe two or three times in a year. Is that correct? Yeah. And I'd like to, I, it, like, even if I plan a hunt later, I'll get out there maybe early and just throw cameras up. And I like to, I don't like, I don't like, I don't like to have cameras all in one area because I find like, like down here in Ohio, for instance, I had maybe five, six areas with two cameras each. Because I can also, I can kind of read the sign, you know, like pretty much read the sign, say, okay, I want to see sign, get some intel, throw cameras up. But I don't want to just throw all my eggs in one basket because, you know, if you bump a deer or if it ain't productive as far as he ain't there, the deer you're after, then you're like back to square one. So I'll get like two, three cameras in like four or five different areas. And then like you were talking about earlier, how some deer are easier to kill, you know. Um, some of them might be like, wow, how am I going to set up on this deer? He got everything in his favor. You might find one that's easier, feeding a little more daylight, no one's around. But, uh, yeah, I'm always going back and always, like, but having, you know, three to five, six spots 
Um, and I mean spots like either that one deer you can hunt in different areas or maybe five or six different deer areas, you know, maybe miles away from each other that you could, um, this don't pan out or just like when we come down to Ohio a week ago, five, six days ago, I had, I had all intentions of hunting. I had, man, I said, I got five good spots, four or five good spots with two, three cameras. It's like we went in to hunt the first spot, like geared up, ready to hunt couple does on camera, nothing. It's like, oh, man, what? I can't believe this. Last year it was good, da, da, da. Okay, let's check the next spot. So we go to the next spot. It was kind of like, ah, mediocre. I mean, had a couple 20 to 35 bucks. And it's like, man, and it's like a big slap in the face. You don't, that's why the more, the more areas you have ready, um, whether it is with cameras or you plan, the, you, you know, you e-scout and you can get boots on the ground and, you know, and then, like I said, we we started into a new area in Ohio here this last week because our my spots weren't like they were mediocre. It's like man, I just really it was really frustrating. There was no mast here or there, and the deer weren't there for whatever reason, or maybe someone was in a hunt. So we were we went back to ground square one again, and started all over. But um, yeah. it's a learning curve I enjoy. So. Yep, and I, you know the biggest thing about big woods public land is you can never expect one year to be the same as the next year. Like there's so many different things that are out of your control when it comes to you know centralizing deer. Like we can't control food sources, you can't control hunting pressure, the you know the weather, the habitat. It's basically every year, like you said, it's more of a learning curve. And you're kind of just, you know, going with the flow as the season goes on, trying to adjust to the new movements and the changes from year to year. So it's really important to uh, keep your options open because uh, from one season to the next, you're always going to see differences and you can't rely on the yeah. same spot. So yeah, that's, uh, that's a some big, really that's, stuff. Yeah, that's a big, great point to make, Steve. I noticed that there's areas that I gave up on because guys were hunting and I come back three years later and it's like, nobody's hunting here. There's bucks running everywhere. You know, it's like, man. And then you, you hunt, you learn new areas, but then you got to circle back to these old areas, whether it's like you said, the food source or the hunting pressure. Um, there's things out of our control, you know, maybe it's getting logged out or there's so many things. It's like, you got to circle back. I remember this used to be good. It dried up. Now it might be good again. And, so this year down in Ohio is the acorns like, and it's, I never found whether it's PA or wherever, um, more West Virginia, Ohio areas. It's like the acorns aren't always, it's like people used to say, Oh, every other year they produce. No, that ain't it. Yeah. I've seen areas that whether it's elevation or the types of acorns, you got to put boots on the ground. Like that's what we did a lot of here. We finally got into acorns, but then they were just so abundant, you know, which is a good thing. Um, it, it keeps them up in the timber, so that's a good starting point. But yeah, you have to keep learning these new areas and, and make mental notes of where the where they're where they're feeding and, and where they're bedding and maybe the pressure down. So yeah, I always circle back to them old spots, and it just comes back down to spending a lot of time in the woods and learning as much as you can, dropping pins and make making notes in your journal on a spark board. You could say. This, you know, this is what happened this year. And that's a, that's a really good thing, uh, tool to have. Um, and then you, you cause I know in the past I looked, I would been in areas before, um, journals and, and, and um, 
I would go back here. And I, I remember this was good. Dude. Where was it? Was just like you get cloudy after about 20, 30 years. You don't remember every spot, you know. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I, I, uh, John, and I'll leave this up to you. But I know we're over thirty minutes into this. Uh, is there more that you, you know, that you want me to add, or is some questions that you wanted to ask, John, or what are you thinking? Yeah, I can I can add a, ask a couple questions and John just I'll be brief. You know, I, I love all these stories and examples and I you know, I don't even think we said your last name. You're Johnny Stewart, you're the man in Pennsylvania. So you hunt Pennsylvania, <laughs> but you're all yeah. over the place. And and I think that's really kind of interesting because hunting a lot of states and having that experience is really, really helpful. Uh, my question to you is, you know, you're breaking down terrain features in those specific areas and, and diagnosing, you know, where deer want to be and using the camera data to kind of get the when, you know, when do they utilize these? And you're just talking about boots on the ground, looking at either vegetation or mass production or whatever the case to create that interest, because there's something that drives deer to make decisions to move, right? Cause deer are not always stagnant. And in some cases they may be because of hunting pressure, but like in some of these areas that you're hunting, like the Ohio area or Pennsylvania or West Virginia, wherever you're going, you know, I would say, you know, in those areas specifically, you know, I, I wonder, like, do you start like at a certain terrain elevation and then work your way down? Do you focus more predominantly on food sources? Like, although we, we're taking hunting pressure into consideration, you know, I look at terrain as like a major driver in some of my decisions and, and either co-locating where deer want to be and trying to hunt them and, and accessing them in areas. And, and like, cause terrain drives like, all right, how hard is it going to get in this location? Am I going to be sweating like crazy getting up there? And, you know, it's the work and effort that goes into that. And, and clearly you're a mobile hunter, but like, do you like really weigh terrain heavily? Cause I do. And that's, that's how I try to co-locate deer beyond all these other attributes that we talked about, you know, the basic habitat features. Yeah, definitely terrain. And then, I know a lot of people talk about mountain hunting, but I know it varies. Like I've been in enough areas, like like been up in Steve's area. It's kind of rugged. Um, and like where I hunt in PA, it's considered the plateau area of the Allegheny and it's flat. And then down here in Ohio, it's rugged, but narrow, steep ridges. Um, West Virginia, a lot of like, it's like, wow, there's so, even though it's mountainous area, um, there are so many different, you know, types of mounting hunting, mountain hunting. Um, but I, uh, I, I don't, I feel like a lot of times the, the top ridges and stuff like that, if there's a fair amount of pressure, that's where the danger is with the, uh, the hunting pressure. And, and I feel like I, I try to get up a little bit in, in your more rugged areas with, with, uh, narrow ridges. Um, I feel like they could just be hidden and no one really it comes down the hunting pressure i think years ago like even with bill's data like saddles were a big thing like in this more rugged area and he's finding that the deer the bucks aren't using saddles because it's just like that's where the danger is going to be and it's bred into them like oh no so steep hillsides um they're not afraid like i feel like a lot of deer in the steeper areas i feel like they're not like humans to where we wouldn't like walking on a steep terrain um, like one contour line, um, it's just tough walking on a hillside for them. They're, it's like a, their their feet are so almost one on top of each other, make it six eight inches apart when they're tracks, and it's like they'll walk a level like they'll be on them steep. That doesn't bother you know. I feel like people overlook them areas, but he's and then if you follow one with snack track them in the snow, it's like 
and then I've, I, they'll go up and down, but it's usually, they're only going to go up so high. They are lazy to a point. They'll walk level, you know, maybe a contour and go up maybe a hundred foot in elevation. They'll walk level again or down. And I feel like there's them elevation points that they like to be at, you know, um, the red is different. Um, in the, they'd be traveling longer distances, but like, for example, where we were in Ohio, there was uh, down in the thermal hub in the creek bottom, there was a lot of sign. I said, there's no reason for him to walk miles, like, you know, about 400 feet in elevation to, to go and hide. You know, um, he's just up on this elevation about, we figured, 1,100, you know, 1,000. And he's probably on that one about 1,100,000. And it's halfway between the bottoms and the tops where I feel like, you know, and then you could use them thermals, whether it travels up or down to access and pops, or I even think it's like hunting pressure. You know what I mean? But points are definitely significant areas, and bigger bucks are just kind of like the king of the hill, sit out on a point. But then there's different types of points. Like some of them are so broad that just like you could be on a point with your bow and that you couldn't see 100 yards to the other sides of the point. You know what I mean? So is it really a point or is it more of like a flat? You know, so uh, definitely take the thermals into consideration. I don't, I, I don't believe deer always walk into the wind or use the thermals every instance they're alive. I feel like it's kind of like there's a chance you can go get in your car and get in a car accident, but you're still going to go drive. Like, so they're not always, it's like, um, they're not always going to worry about the wind and thermal. might be a little more cautious when they're not using it, you know, and that's where you can hopefully catch them. But, Definitely points are significant areas. You get in the bowl, with them, and then, like, even some hillsides would have, like, little bumps, a little drain just coming down that where you can kind of, like, a little bit of an outcropping where they're out, and they could jump off into, like, a ditch, um, get away from pressure. You know, terrain is definitely, the more terrain you've got, the more um, they can get away from you. I figure there's there are a few things that I look for when I am trying to hunt a deer. It's either uh, that they haven't get matures like covered terrain and something inaccessible um so covered definitely if there's a lot of cover then he can get away from hunters you know some rugged terrain uh and it could be like hand in hand with something inaccessible so another spot that i'm thinking about hunting um in pa it's like an open piece of oaks and below that is a private hay field that's huge and he can lay just above the fence row in the open oaks. But above that is like a thick area to where he can lay in that area and he's not accessible. So that's what I look for. Like, okay, he's in areas that are not accessible. Or it could be like a body of water that you would have to cross. No one, or I've been seen like out in the Midwest or way out in the flat, like way out there, you can't access them. So there are three things that I look for when I'm studying, you know, where these DRRs cover terrain. Basically, for deer to get to an age class that I want to hunt them, it's something inaccessible. And sometimes it takes the boots on the ground to find that inaccessible stuff. But it could be a combination of the cover and terrain or just something like a vast area. But, yeah, like something that is hard to access if that's where your chances of finding a mature deer are. And, and so. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you just breaking that down in those aspects and giving, like, basic parameters, but those are fundamental. And everything you've said today so far in this conversation has been fundamental. I think a lot of people need some of this to kind of propel them this hunting season. So I kind of I thank you for breaking down your strategy and process because I think a lot of people struggle with, you know, how do I attack things? Now, there's more minute, like small little features that you're probably considering in the scheme of things 
and you know it, it could be as you know small as the type of vegetation in this area and its utilization over time and seasonally why it's being utilized more than others or male or females using i mean you can just kind of break this down at finer levels and then you can and apply weather conditions and and just you know weather fronts into these you know particular areas and why deer are using certain terrain features rather than other features but there's layers upon layers and layers and yeah. not everything is going to be perfect. You know, you're not going to be able to diagnose a deer's movement as precisely as you would hope for. So sometimes yeah. you, you stumble into these things as well. So, you know, nothing's perfect. So I, I just wanted to kind of give you kudos and, and uh, kind of maybe end there. I don't know if there's anything you want to end with or Steve wants to end it with. I'm happy, Johnny, you're on this. So thank you for participating. Yeah, I like helping people, and from my, you know, experience in the woods, maybe they can uh, take something and have success there and then put their own spin on it. That's the biggest thing, and, um, you know, yeah, see it, see it your way, you know, is yep. this how it's happening. Absolutely, so. absolutely. No, thanks a lot for coming on, Johnny, and uh, I know that uh, we'll be texting, and who knows, we might even get in the woods together this fall. Definitely sure we'll be in the woods after the season and hopefully a little more than what we did last year so i i think you brought up some great stuff and you know definitely even myself is as experienced some people think i am i i learned something every time i listen to you so i had a great time yeah you could learn from anybody you know yep yeah absolutely thanks johnny thanks steve all right i'm gonna outro this and i appreciate you guys coming on and uh johnny good luck this season steve same with you we'll talk next week and uh more from us thanks all right thanks a lot guys good luck to you bye-bye Bye. thanks maximize your hunt is a production of whitetail landscapes For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out whitetaillandscapes.com.